right, welcome back to another episode of It's Okay to Feel. Yes. Um, I'm your host, Craig. With me, as always, Steve. Yes, nice to be back. Nice to be back. Nice to be back. We're going to touch a little bit more on uh, what we were talking about last episode with the self-care. Um, I want to start us off by talking about what we did for self-care the past couple of weeks since we haven't heard you. You want to go first? Sure, sure. Well, one of the things that I do is that every Saturday morning, I meet other NAMI folks in Laguna Beach on the Big Bend Canyon parking lot, and we hike a short loop. It's about just a bit under five miles, uh, and we don't spend all of our time talking about mental illness or anything like that. We just spend our time enjoying one another's company. Sometimes there's two of us, sometimes there's six of us, but if anyone on this call would like to join us, all they do have to do is reach out to me and I'll give them the directions. My email address is stevepittman1, S-T-E-V-E-P-I-T-1-T-M-A-N, stevepittman, the number one, at gmail.com. But it's one of those things, the more the merrier. We've been doing it for about six months, and uh, the first step is always the hardest, but we always feel um, kind of relaxed when the when the walk, the hike is over. So you're welcome to join us. And you also just had a birthday, right? Yeah, birthdays are unavoidable. Birthdays are unavoidable. But we just had a um, big party at the house for you, and that would I would consider that a self care. We're hanging out with the family and being around them and some family members we don't get to see that often so yeah. it's, it's hearing the noise of family interacting is always a, a reliever of stress for me nice and then for me i um i still uh stay true to my uh, bath schedule and i take a lot of baths uh, about three times a week it's my chance to uh, quiet down my mind and practice some meditation and get rid of all the noise so i can kind of uh empty the cup one would say so i can start filling it up again um another thing i do on a monthly basis is i go to uh, a spa and i get massages um which is in the same same thing it's a chance for me to kind of detach from whatever's going on and um quiet the noise and and kind of recuperate so that i can be able to handle more stuff and not get overwhelmed Another way to look at it, and I might be repeating myself, but it's it's a very short story. Hans Selye was the father of modern stress theory, taught at McGill University. And one of the things he said is that you need to look at self-care as uh, and the relief from stress uh, as something that we all need to focus on. But he, he went on to say, he said, the first thing that you have to do is you have to find out what it is that you can do for yourself that relieves stress. And everybody's different, you know. For some people it might be painting. For some people it may be taking a walk. For others it may be meeting a friend for coffee. There can be thousands of things that any of us can do to relieve stress. Some of them, I suppose, are common one to another of us. But some of them are unique to each of us. Uh, The idea of taking a bath doesn't doesn't do anything to relieve my stress, but it does for Craig, and that's the important thing. So the first step, again, is you have to identify what it is you can do that will relieve your stress. And that's the easy part of the equation. The hard part is now you actually have to do it, uh, because thinking about it 
just identifying it isn't going to do much. But once you start doing it, you're going to find that the stress, your stress level, uh, is much improved. I know that when we teach family to family, the women, largely women that come into the class, you can just see the lines in their face because they've been carrying this for a long, long time. Uh, and and it's, it's hard. It's hard. And as the class progresses, and as we talk more about relieving stress and taking care of ourselves, you can just kind of see the lines in their face fade away. So it's an important thing for all of us to do. I know it's difficult when you're dealing with something that's particularly stressful in your life or in your family, but it's absolutely essential that you take care of yourself because you just won't be able to do much for anybody else if you're not taking care of yourself first. Well, and that's the main reason why you got to do it all the time, even when you're not stressed, because for those high stress moments, for those um, crisis uh, type situations, you have an intervention. You know, I don't have to think about it. You know, I go take a bath, and instantly, since I've been doing it for years, that stress starts to go away, or I can start thinking about it a certain way, or I can start, you know, or I can just let it go completely and be able to move on from it. But that didn't happen just overnight. That happens because it's a reputation, a repetition, and I continuously do it, and I do it with the intention of this is me relaxing right now. And so when it comes to the time when I really need it, it's there and it works. Well, and going back to the gas tank analogy, you need to keep the tank full so that when the stress hits, you're responding with a full tank of gas, if you will. Right. So like like Steve was saying, um, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be anything. Everybody has different views on, on you know, what they see as self-care. But the point of the point of it is to find that kind of uh, thing in your life that's going to be able to take the stress away, take a moment out of whatever's going on, so that you can calmly, you know, be able to think about it and react in a certain way instead of feeling like overwhelmed or in a crisis all the time. Because that's easy for us, especially with mental health issues, to feel like we're constantly drowning underneath some kind of pressure or some kind of situation or our own diagnosis and to be able to find something that takes it away for moments throughout the day is huge so again to repeat myself the challenge for you is to figure out what it is that you can do that relieves your stress that keeps your tank full and then again the second part and the hardest part is now you have to take the time to do it so last week we started touching on the self-care and um it kind of led into uh, why it's important to us, what we kind of do, um, you know, events that happened in the past that led us to even more need for self-care and find new avenues. And one of the biggest ones um, for us in our relationship has been hiking. Um, Steve mentioned that he's still doing that on Saturdays with the NAMI people, but about five years ago, six years ago, um, me and him started doing it together on a, you know, several weekly basis. And not only did it, um, individually help us, right. But as a, you know, father son relationship, it, you know, changed the, changed the, 
dialogue from I'm your parent and this is what I want to, you know, we're equals that love each other and family members, which for someone with a mental health diagnosis and addiction problem, that's something that you don't normally find in a parent, right? It's almost uh, authoritative instead of a, a loving and caring relationship. So it really switched gears for our our relationship and switched gears for how we see life today. You know, I'd say it had a huge impact. Um, so with that, we're going to go into more of a personal story. Um, we're going to tell a story about uh, us taking a hike on the John Muir Trail together. Um, we're just going to do some back and forth and we apologize if it's, uh, gets a little boring, but it means a lot to us and we want to share it. So I'm going to let Steve take over. So you may or may not know that when you do a through hike, like the John Muir trail, you have to get permits and they release a certain number of permits. I want to say two thirds of the permits are released like six months ahead of time. So if you don't get in line six months before you want to hike, then the only alternative left to you is that you have to go to wherever it is you want to start and get up very, very early the next morning and get in line at the ranger station because there are also the, the excess, the, the extra one-third, I guess, of the permits are given out at the ranger station. And uh, we, we stayed, Craig and I stayed at Tuolumne Meadows, which is the start of the John Muir Trail, well, let's back it up a little bit. Let's tell them a little bit about the John Muir Trail and what what it is first. Well, what the John Muir Trail is is a through hike, which means you're going some distance. They can be of any length. The John Muir Trail is about 200 miles. 220? It's, it's about somewhere in there. It kind of depends a little bit on where you start and where you finish and exactly how you you calculate your miles. The thing that always seemed funny to me is that it ends on the top of Mount Whitney. Well, when you're on the top of Mount Whitney, you have 16 miles to go before you can get in a car and drive away. Somehow they don't count the last 16 miles, which seems odd, but uh, so so again, it, it, depending upon how, it, how you calculate it, the trail length is different. So we got there without any permits, and I was the one that elected to get up early in the morning and go to the ranger's cabin to get in line in hopes of getting a permit for the trail. And I've, at this point and still today, I'm not an early waker-upper. It's just never been in my, uh, in my capacity, so. So at any rate, I got to the ranger station at about two in the morning, and there were already people there in line. And of course, the people that are in front of you, you don't know whether they're in line to get 10 tickets or just two. If they're in line to get 10 tickets, you may not get one. But if they're in line just to get a couple, you're probably safe. So at any rate, we got our tickets, uh, fortunately. And uh, you can't start hiking on the day you get the permit. It's got to be the next day. I don't know why these rules exist, but I'm sure that based upon their experience, it makes sense to them. So there was kind of a, a hamburger stand right there where we camped. And we were camping in, in uh, tents that we'd rented. These are... Uh, they're not permanent tents, but they're they're uh, they're what tent cabins. Type yeah, they're team. tent they cabins. Yeah, they're pretty solid. Stove in there and a, a couple cots, but that's it, about it. A wood stove, and I think, as I recall, you got the fire started, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So it warmed it. Got right the fire started, and I burned, I melted my first pair of socks. 
oh that night on the on the stove uh, on the stove <laughs> there's a lot to learn to do in this this through hiking so at any rate we were we ended up being at Tuolumne Meadows about two two nights I think and uh, the thing one of the the first impression that I had of the trail was we loaded up and got all of our gear to go out of Tuolumne Meadows and we were hiking or walking through a meadow which was right at the beginning and I could just feel the stress the stress kind of lifting away off my body it was almost like I was taking a shower cleansing myself of stress and you could just feel it uh, ebbing from your system because in much of the trail there's no cell phones I mean you can have a cell phone but they don't work and there's none of the noises we associate it in urban or suburban life it's just outdoors and it's quiet and it's peaceful and I don't remember how long this meadow was but a half mile maybe a mile and by the time I got to the other side of the meadow, I could al- again, I could already feel the stress kind of just lifting away, which was, uh, which was a great feeling to have. Yeah, it took me a lot longer um, to feel that. I don't remember what ridge it was, but there was a, a specific ridge that we went over. I wish I remembered the name of it, but it was probably... It was, probably five days into the hike it's a this the john Muir trail is about a, we spent about three weeks um three weeks 21 days on it and you have your food on different stations uh along the way and well you mail food in because you can't carry all the food you need right so there are about four places along the way where you can put your food into a five gallon paint bucket you get them at uh staples is it staples home depot Home Depot. and put all your food in that and seal it up and put it take it to the post office and, and mail it to one of these four locations but um you know i was coming into this hike i don't know about seven months sober still very um unwell i'd say i wasn't like you know i was sober but i wasn't it's compared to how i feel now i've I was not feeling healthy. You yeah, know, you I was I was doing what I needed to do to be sober, but I wasn't. You know, um, have you know? It's it's hard to it's hard to look back and and understand where I was at because I'm at such a huge difference now that anything that I felt before four years ago, I could have told you I wasn't. I wasn't even close to where I'm at today. So, um, but you know, and my sister just passed away, maybe a year before that. Yep. Um, so there was a lot of turmoil and, and, uh, going into the hike, I knew it was going to be great for us, but my main focus was I'm, I'm here with, uh, with Steve and, and we're doing this together and we're going to see how it turns out. So, um, you know, but I'm telling you that Tuolumne Meadows is in Yosemite. So if you know Yosemite, you know how beautiful and majestic it can be. Um, if you don't know, it's a forest, you know, surrounded by mountains and everything is so green and there's so much water and there's so much life. And I spent that first day when we were at the camp, you know, I got a GoPro and I literally spent, you know, maybe three hours just filming the creek because it just blew my mind how beautiful this creek could look in the back of this uh, camping area. And, you know, I was getting pictures underneath the water and I was getting pictures of plants because it was just it was just mind boggling to me. 
so then the next day, each each hike was about what 10, 10 to fifteen miles. Yeah. Uh, fifteen miles on the longest days, probably eight miles on the shortest days. Kind of depended on what the terrain was. You know, and it sounds like it sounds like a lot, but you have that's all you're doing. You're hiking, so um, you know there's no other outside influences saying this is what I need to do with my time. So eight to ten miles, or you know, fifteen miles isn't that much when you got twelve hours of the day to do it. Um, and so we started out in Tuolumne, and we started alone. But this isn't a, you know, there's a lot of people doing the hike, like you said, with the permits. And you see people along the trail, especially around Yosemite and the other campsites, you're going to see more people. The farther we got in, the less people we saw. Right. So the first hike was about 10 miles, I think, to the top of a ridge where we first camped. Do you remember that lady that we saw that first night? I, I remember there was a lady that had lived in Tehachapi, a married woman who probably, I, I don't know if she was my age or not, but she was an older lady. And she had a backpack that looked like a duffel bag. In other words, it didn't look like a backpack at all. And it was just stuffed with stuff. And her plan was, she was doing the John Muir Trail in, in segments. And um, this was the first segment. And her husband was supposed to pick her up in Mammoth Lake. But she looked so ill-prepared uh, physically and in terms of what she would brought with her that we all camped in the same campsite the first night, but we didn't ever see her again. No, and she was very, very loud. She definitely uh, didn't look like she belonged there, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> so, and every day you see something brand new. There were days that we were hiking all day long in kind of a garden with trees, and there were other days where water was the main thing we were dealing with. And when you see these streams and rivers, they look so peaceful. And you have to cross them, which means you're going to have to get your feet wet. And the rocks that are under the water, and of course, remember, these rocks have been under the water for maybe thousands of years. They are very, very slippery. So the water itself is not the problem so much as the fact that you don't have any real footing that you have to get across. And I think in in really rainy seasons, there might be 25 or 30 water crossings. Um, when we did it, maybe there were eight. Yeah, it wasn't too many. Because it was definitely a running joke that I had about about the water crossing because it seemed like it was such a big a big deal but we went a year that there was a drought so you right. know water crossings that people would warn us about were little creeks that you step over right and so you could do this this hike every year and really find something quite different every year um at any rate and sometimes it was so it was these gardens these meadowlands and other times you were you couldn't see anything green growing it was all granite rocks of all sizes and switchbacks up to the top of a pass uh, and then down again on the other side and so you'd see very you were above the timber line so you didn't see much in terms of vegetation and then there were places that we went through where there were marmots m-a-r-m-o-t mm -hmm. and they're like uh rats gophers. rats or gophers the size of small cats very 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 quick and it wasn't just one of them it may it wasn't that you had to be lucky to see one 
but you'd get into areas where they were and they'd kind of be all over the place. And they were the same color as the granite, so you could walk by and not even notice them. The thing that made you notice them was they were scampering around. Uh, which also meant, though, that your backpack was vulnerable because if you put it in the wrong place, they would chew through your backpack fairly quickly and find the food. So the first leg uh, started there at Tuolumne, and then we went into Mammoth. The first night? Right? Well, it wasn't the first night. No, the night. first it was, night. It was about three it was days. A, about three days to Mammoth, yeah. Three days, and um, those first three days were... Um, taking it all in for sure i think we were a lot more comfortable after mammoth than we were before yeah we were kind of just sticking with the the crowd and and camping where we could um and then by the time we got to mammoth we were ready for a bed and a hot meal so we ended up renting a, a hotel room in red's meadows right outside and we took we took a rest day and we took a uh shuttle into mammoth lakes and this is the first time i've been into mammoth i say this um because uh, i ended up living there for three years two and a half years um and the only reason i i chose to live there was because of this trip we went there and it was just such a beautiful town it was summer so it wasn't it wasn't a uh, snow town right then it was um you know the middle of the summer season it wasn't too busy there wasn't too many people uh we went into town and we got some lunch and uh, I talked to some of the locals there and we ended up getting massages at a massage place there and uh, before we headed back to Red's Meadows but I was just so taken aback by how easy it seemed there how easy life seemed how slowed down it was how calm it was and it was one of my you know and like I said a couple years later I ended up moving there for a couple years just because I wanted that um, escape um so we stayed in Red Meadows for two nights, right? Two, two or three. Two I don't nights, remember. and then we ended up in um, in Mammoth. What was the what was the Devil's the Devil's Wall? Post pile. Devil's Post Pile is a is a famous landmark that we walked through there, and it's almost like the um, the rocks are falling off the walls. Yeah, it and, almost looks uh, unreal. It's like a very um, what's the word? Not symmetrical, but um. It looks structured. Structured, right. It doesn't look random like... comes off in pillars, you know, square pillars. Um, and that was pretty cool to see that. And then after that, we started hitting the lakes, which that was a beautiful lake. A beautiful lake. I don't know how many days it was till we went into Lake Edison. Do you remember the count? The I think that was about halfway. Right. So it was about five more days. Yeah. Um, and along that way, we started seeing the same people every day. Um, and we started to be able to talk to them. Steve woke up early every morning. And I, of course, woke up a few hours later and um, would pack up the, the stuff and, and then catch up, um, which I never failed to catch up. <laughs> and he always wanted to know why I was walking so slowly. But along the way, be these people that have been hiking, you know, we'll see them maybe once a day. But they started noticing that, oh, you're the, you're the uh, guy that walks ahead and looks for your grandson behind, and and I'm the guy that's always looking for his grandfather ahead. Um, and in doing and in doing that, we met um, a couple a couple groups of people. Um, 
different ages too. They weren't, because some of them were my age, some of them were a little older. Um, one was a married couple that lived in Arizona. Um, one was two friends that lived out of Santa Cruz that were my age. And the other two were sisters that were from Minnesota. 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 Um, all kind of there to do the same thing, experience the trail and get out and do their own thing. Um, and I think it was after Mammoth that we started hanging out with that group and we started camping with that group. And, um, every night we started doing campfires, um, and talking around the fire and I got to know them really well. It was really fun. Yeah, I'd get into camp and I was ready to go to eat and go to bed. Craig and these young kids would get into camp and they were ready to set up camp and then talk until midnight. That was fun. Um, one of the things I really enjoyed that I always love talking about is the, the amount of fresh water we had along the way, whether it was rivers or lakes. But every chance I could, I stripped down and jumped in, you know, and when you're on the trail like this, you're out there for three weeks, so you're doing your laundry every couple of days, and you do it in your, your food bucket. You take the food out because um, your bucket is in a bear canister because you need to protect it from the bears. And you bring a little bit of soap with you, and you, you know, wash your clothes. So I thought it was interesting that, you know, just the experience of, you know, stripping down and putting your clothes in the wash and swimming around in the in the mountain water every every couple of days yeah yeah so then coming in coming in that leg was a uh, mammoth to lake edison and i can't remember the think, name the I name of the camp thing in between what was in between i don't remember no that, that was after the uh horse stables uh, maybe yeah because that was the last dead leg because then we hiked out into mount whitney right the pack station John Muir Pack Station, right? Is that what it's called? I don't know. Anyways, we hiked into uh, Lake Edison, and this was... 27? 27. That's long enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're we're going to kind of call it here, come back, because there's more story to tell, and we don't have time to tell it all, but we'll tell it to you next time, and you'll see how how this fantastic story Mm -hmm. ends. Yes. We still have good memories about this story. Yes, and we love talking about this story. Um, like I said, it was um, a very memorable and life-changing experience. But So, yeah, we'll continue on our next episode and give you kind of the tail end of the, of the John Muir Trail. And, um, you know, if you're feeling inspired, if you like what we're saying, come out to the hike. Saturday mornings, we'll, we'll tell you exactly how to do it. If if we have a big enough group, we'll go out there and do it. We're not. Um, and if you're feeling inspired, the message is not go hiking. The message is find out how to keep your tank full. Right. And do it. Whatever that means. All right. And with that, we're going to close it out. Um, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Yeah. See you next week or the week.